Hello, welcome back to the Liberty Blues Network. I'm Sean Osborne. I'm Steve Mirren. John should be in there someplace, but I don't know what happened to him. And uh, today we're John Phillips by... is here. Oh, there he is. I thought you thought you got a lot. I thought the internet got you. Got a little bit too excited there. <laughs> you know, I am pretty excitable, you know. So, and today, so today, today we're joined by uh, Jeff Coleman. How's it going, Jeff? Um, it's going great, Sean. Thanks for having me on your podcast uh, today. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you're, uh, you're running for office in Missouri. What, it's a, a state house, I think? Yes, that is correct. Um, state house district 101 in suburban St. Louis. All right. It is, uh, how, like, what, what all does it encompass? Is it, uh, like a pretty large district or? Well, uh, Missouri has a hundred and I'm going to say 163. I'm pretty sure I'm correct about that. State house districts. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, each are, you know, uh, allotted or drawn by population so they all have roughly equivalent population um and uh so my district was drawn so that it is contained entirely within a single suburb of st louis that suburb is called chesterfield missouri uh-huh. um and uh there's a rather unusual thing taking place in my district this year now of course this is a redistricting year so this this is something that may apply to other candidates uh, besides myself i haven't haven't encountered anybody that's in precisely the same situation i'm in but um i'm running a three-way race and uh there is a contested republican primary um but one of those republicans is much better funded than the other and is 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 expected to be the favorite to win his primary if that takes place as expected i will find myself in a three-way race where i the libertarian candidate is the only candidate who actually lives in the district that i'm running to represent oh man all right I've, I've talked to a few uh, people who talked about that kind of thing that, uh, you know, they had uh, people running from outside of their district running as, uh, as uh, you know, running in their district. So that, that's, that's some pretty wild stuff there. That's strange yeah, that that's it, even it, legal. Yeah, it's, it, there, there is a loophole uh, in Missouri, and, and this, this probably applies to other states as well. I'd love to kind of know how, what the nuances are from state to state, but in Missouri, uh, there is a residency requirement of one year that uh, you have to live in the district that you're running in for one year prior to your election. Uh, but the, the exception to that is, uh, and the loophole is, that in the event that the district has not existed for one year prior to the election, which is the case this year because it is a redistricting year, uh, the lines were redrawn <clears throat> earlier this year, just a few months ago. And so in, with, with that exception, uh, it says that you have to be a resident of the old district from which the new district was taken for one year prior to the election. Uh-huh. 
and and the courts have the courts in prior uh, redistricting cycles have determined that what that basically means is that if you if you if your old district overlaps in some way with the new district, then it's it's legit. You're eligible to run in that new district, even though you don't live in that new district. Now there there's another quirk uh, that that applies to me on this whole thing. One of my the the Democrat running you would fall pretty squarely into that loophole. Uh, she lives in the neighboring district to mine, um, but that old district does overlap the new district that she's running in, which is my district. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the Republican that that everybody's expecting to win his primary in a couple of weeks doesn't even live in a district that overlaps the district. Hmm. He lives two or three districts away from the district. Oh, it's not even a neighboring one. This guy is a complete carpetbagger. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really excited about uh, making some noise about that, as well as about the Democrat, and just saying, letting the voters know that we've got, I mean, you know, throw politics out the window here. I mean, this is, this is common sense. I mean, you know, this is, our whole democracy was built on, you know, representation and being able to elect one of your own to represent you in government. And um, so, so we're going to have a clear choice between three candidates. Two of those three are ineligible to vote for themselves in this election. <laughs> and I'm going to be telling people, you know, if if you, you know, if if these if these folks can't earn their own vote, how can they possibly expect to earn your vote? Oh man, that's crazy. Now, let's say let's say hypothetically one of those one of those outside candidates win, would they eventually have to move to that district? I believe they would be I don't even think they would have to move during their initial term. I think they would just have to move in order to continue to represent that, you know, that district if they wanted to go for reelection. Right. I think that loophole allows them to to occupy, you know, to, to stay put and, um, and 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 run and 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 take that position representing a district that they don't even live in. That's crazy. Yeah, that that is that's ludicrous. Um, and so I, I assume there's no incumbent then, right? Correct. If- and and uh, I'll give you the the backstory on that. Filing period in Missouri is five weeks, and the incumbent filed uh, to run for re-election on on the first day of filing, as is typical. Uh, you know, the, most of the incumbents do that because they are already right there. You know, they're they're already working in in the state capitol, and they just you know take a stroll down the street and go to file, and uh, and it gives them you know ballot position preference and everything. So, um, so he filed on day one. Uh, and I sat there kind of looking at that race and looking at other races for other districts that I'm in, and nobody else filed against him. And, and you know, the weeks went by, and, and, and I, I had already decided I was going to run, but I, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I was, you know, going to run for state rep or state senate, and they, they were, there was a delay in, in redrawing the senate lines. And um, it came down to the final week, and I, I went ahead and filed to run for state rep. So it was going to be a two-way race, which I was thrilled about. Yeah, that'd be great. And even though, even though it was, you know, 
up against an incumbent who didn't have any uh, known known scandals uh, out there that I, I was aware of. Um, but uh, so the final day of filing, I, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm checking, you know, updates on who's filed, who hasn't filed, and just kind of, you know, you know, not only my district but also other libertarians' districts trying to kind of. Uh, encourage other people to file and, and find out, you know, who's running against who. And I see that the incumbent in my race, he drops out of the race on the final day. He just, he withdraws his candidacy. Mm. And I saw that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm now running unopposed <laughs> for state rep. And, you know, I, I mean, what, what an unbelievable uh, circumstance. And, 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 but, but knowing that, you know, obviously this is something too good to be true. The guy, you know, he's not going to withdraw without having, you know, without already making arrangements for somebody else that he's probably handpicked right. to come in and, and, you know, jump in there and, and take his place. And, and sure enough, that's what happened. But but it, it didn't happen until like the last hour of filing. So the entire day I'm looking at the website, refresh, <laughs> refresh, refresh, you know, wondering when the when the other shoe is going to drop, what's going to happen. And maybe uh, maybe the guy that he handpicked gets a flat tire on the way to Jeff City, you know, to the state capitol, and uh, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's just me and there's nobody else. But, man, um, cool. but yeah, he, uh, so not only did his, his handpicked Republican guy jump in, but a, a Democrat jumped in who probably would not have run if that guy had not withdrawn, if the, if the incumbent had not withdrawn. Right. So, so I, I ended up in a, in a three-way race. Uh, I went from a, a, a one-way race to a three-way race, which is, you know, obviously <laughs> disappointing. How strong is the Democratic Party there? Um, the Democratic Party is very strong in certain parts of the metro area and, and very weak in other parts. It really goes by geography uh-huh. in the St. Louis area. Um, in the city of St. Louis proper, it's all Democrats. It is a one-party city. There, there's, I mean, Republicans usually don't even bother to run for anything in the city of St. Louis. So it's just that's what's like in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and also in uh, the northern suburbs of St. Louis, same situation. It's all you know, straight blue Democrat, you know, one party. And then when you get out to the western uh, suburbs, and uh, you know, and kind of getting out into the exurbs. Um, it becomes it, 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 it kind of quickly goes from purple to red, you know, within just like a few miles. Uh-huh. And and I'm in an area that is I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's it's bright red, but it, 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 it's definitely, you know, the, all of I, I am in the western suburbs. I actually, I actually moved. Uh, I used to live in the northern suburbs. I was there for almost 20 years. And it was, you know, I would always be running against, I would always be in two-way races against Democrats because Republicans wouldn't even run. And and I expected that where, where I moved to now, I expected it would probably be just an area where Democrats wouldn't even bother to, to run. But uh, with the redistricting situation, I, I have seen a lot of Democrats file in, uh, you know, t- con- traditionally conservative areas because I, they're probably just hoping that the lines will work to their advantage in ways that you know, they didn't anticipate. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a lean red area where I'm in, uh, but not like a, not, not like an unbreakable red area. I think the, the Dem- if they had, if the, de- if the right Democrat ran, they would probably, you know, be competitive. Uh-huh. So what, what's the, 
like how big's the libertarian presence there? Are, are there some elected libertarians around you, or uh, uh, is like a I don't know. Do you know uh, there are quite a few libertarians running uh, coming up in November? Yeah, we've got we've got a few dozen libertarians running statewide. I mean, not not for statewide office, but you know, throughout Missouri, you know, a, a few dozen that we've got. Um, we have we do not currently have any partisan elected libertarians. We do have a nonpartisan elected libertarian not far uh, from my area, probably about. Um, about, about half an hour from, from my house going west. So uh, kind of between, you know, a little, little bit west of St. Louis, um, a small a small town called Wright City. We do have a, an elected libertarian who uh, was appointed to a city council position and then ran for election and won that election. So, so uh. we're... we're up. So... What's what's uh I, I think you had mentioned uh, uh, when, when we uh, talked about you worked with some ballot access stuff there. How's the how's that coming along? Yes, uh, I'll give you the give you the background of of what we've been working on. Um, in anticipation of the redistricting uh, process that uh, we you know we all went through recently, um, I. Uh, enlisted several other libertarians across Missouri to, uh, to agree to uh, submit their names as libertarian nominees for the state redistricting commissions. So we in Missouri, we have a state house redistricting commission and a state senate redistricting commission. So the, these commissions are tasked with redrawing the lines every 10 years based on the census results. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the commissions by, by law and by the state constitution are appointed uh, by exclusively Democrats and Republicans. It is a, these are both bipartisan commissions explicitly. So I, I had the idea that, you know, going into this, this cycle, I said, well, I mean, let's let's disregard the fact that we're legally prohibited from even participating. I mean, we're, we're effectively disenfranchised right. from uh, an important function of state government here uh, based on our you know, freedom to assemble with the political party of our choosing. You know, we're, you know, so we've got a, you know, we've got a, a an obvious first amendment violation, a 14th amendment violation, but let's, let's just look past that and just let's act as if, so, you know, I, I pitched the idea to to the party that let's just go ahead and nominate our own, just like the Democrats and Republicans are going to do. And let's submit that list to the governor and let's just see what happens. Maybe uh, maybe they'll accidentally appoint <laughs> libertarians to the redistricting commissions for the first time in history. Uh -huh. um, and we did that. I mean, we we uh, we we gathered everybody, you know, all the names we we uh, we actually organized meetings in each congressional district throughout the state to formally nominate our roster uh, because you, know, you needed to have, I think, two, uh, it was two nominees for each commission from each congressional district. And then there would also be five at-large nominees that would be nominated by the state party 
uh, for each commission. So you mm-hmm. end up with a total of 21 commissioners for the state house, 21 for the state senate, and you can't be on both. So we needed 42 different libertarians who were willing to, uh, you know, put their names on a list that might actually end up turning into some work for them if, if by some miracle that they actually got nominated. Uh-huh. Uh, or actually got appointed, I should say. They, you know, we they were nominated, but they they were not appointed. But had they been appointed, then they would have had to, you know, spend time uh, going to meetings at the state capitol and, and around the state, uh, and going to public hearings and and uh, you know making decisions about how to redraw those district lines. So uh, there's a so that that's there's, some, there's, there's something in Indiana with um, uh, uh, Jeff Moore. Uh, he's running for uh, state. Oh no, I forgot. Secretary of State of Indiana, and he and that's their ballot access race. So if he, even if he doesn't win, if he does good, if he gets enough percentage or comes in second or something like that, they get a knock, a Republican or a Democrat off the election board in every county. And I mean, that's just you know those kind of wins you can't you can't beat those you know because yeah, that like really so nice. go, I, I, I... go on yeah go ahead yeah you know you can't beat that you know if you can knock off them and actually have somebody, uh, you know, on the election board, you know, because we had, there's so much problem with ballot access around the country. Yeah, and, and I, I'll have to say, I mean, prior to the Reno National Convention, I was not paying that close of attention to what's going on in Indiana. I mean, I, I knew about Donald Rainwater, you know, but I uh, hadn't really followed the results of that election. And, and then I had a conversation with uh, Paul Copeland. You know, we had a great conversation in Reno, where he was kind of, you know, you know, getting me up to speed on, you know, what, what's been happening since then in Indiana. And the fact that in Indiana, um, the Libertarian Party actually beat the Democrats in, uh, I believe, a third or more than a third third of of all the counties. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's just unbelievably tremendous. uh, Yeah. And and a a thrill and and what a, what a great, you know, what a great uh, path to blaze for the rest of us. Yeah. Hell yeah. and, uh, and then I, uh, he, he uh, ended up hooking me up with uh, Chris Galt, and he's been keeping me in the loop on um, the canvassing events that Indiana is organizing as, you know, kind of, you know, recruiting volunteers to help with the canvassing in certain districts, but also, you know, making it like a training opportunity for, for people to come in and kind of see how Indiana has been doing it. Because, I mean, based on what, what I was hearing about in Reno, it's just uh, you, you guys are kind of operating on that on a whole nother level uh, in Indiana. So, um, yeah, Indiana really seems to be doing really good. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so like, wh- how, what's the process like for you to get the ballot access? Like, uh, I, I assume you have to sue for it since it's full of Republicans and Democrats. Well, I, I want to I want to kind of clarify um, the, the, the process I was describing with the redistricting commissions that is independent of our party's ballot access, our, 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 we, we're actually pretty fortunate in Missouri because uh, beginning about, well, I, would, I guess it goes back uh, 30 years. It was in the early 90s that um, the law got, you know, the, the law access really got loosened up compared to where it had been. And our, our ballot access requirement and, you know, for any party is 2% of the, uh, uh, you know, oh, okay. of the, of the total in a, in a statewide election. 
So, and we've, we've, you know, ever since that got put in place 30 years ago, we immediately gained ballot access and never lost it. We've had it continuously for 30 years. Oh, that's great. So, uh, so we're, we're really proud of that. Oh, that's cool. So, so ballot access isn't necessarily an issue there. Yeah, it's I not know. as big of an issue. I mean, it's something is, we're always aware of it because there. I mean, it's not a lock that we're going to get two percent on every wide race. In fact, there's a lot of statewide races that we 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 miss the two percent. But we've all. But you have like two cycles to keep it. You know, so we can. You know, if if we if we if we miss it completely on one cycle, we're not kicked off the ballot immediately. We've got the the next cycle is is our chance to to keep it before we lose it. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've never gone two consecutive cycles missing the two percent on at least one of the statewide races. That's great. Yeah, because I, I know national is trying to help out some of the states that are having more problem with that, like New York. I think uh, is Minnesota, I believe, was having some issues or someplace up there. Uh, was yeah, having. Some... I know they were involved with Illinois as well, and we were. Oh yeah, yeah. We we, we were we were hearing uh, quite a bit about the Illinois effort because they're right next door to us. Hmm. That's so cool. what do you have to do to get on the, like, to have a primary? Does, does only the Republicans and Democrats get to have a primary, or can the Libertarians do that? Or what do they need to do all, to be able to do that? All, in Missouri, all established parties, and th- those are, you know, any party that's been able to keep that 2% threshold automatically is in the primary. So, so we have a primary every, every cycle. Hmm. Wow, okay. that's really good for you. In Indiana... Um, the libertarians don't have a um, a primary. They don't get enough of the vote, and they haven't in the recent uh, past. Um, but my law partner is working on a, a suit. I think he's going to sue the the state of Indiana to try to change that because uh, he just brought that to my attention a few days ago. That that's sweet. Um, yeah. So he he because essentially you know we do that primary. It's giving. It's state-funded sort of um, at least access or advertising for for your party that other parties don't get. And so, um, yeah, my partner's filing a lawsuit to try to get more parties uh, into a primary. Yeah, and, and that, that's that's great news because, um, you know, I mean, which, whether you – whether whether the primaries are good or bad, it should certainly be the same for all parties. There should not be, you know, uh, right. you shouldn't have certain parties that are protected by that system and other parties that are excluded. Uh, now, there is a movement in Missouri that I, I, I did hear uh, that the um, the uh, state legislature is uh, working on an effort probably for next year to, uh, they're, they're going to be uh, putting forth a bill where they would, uh, I, 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 I was going to say it was, I, I was almost going to say it was uh, for primaries across the board, but I don't think that's good. I think it's just for the presidential primary. They want to do away with the presidential primary in Missouri because it's, it's always been a non-binding uh, primary anyway. It doesn't really count. Um, so they just figure, well, let's just get rid of it. Um, but I mean, you know, they, they, they would, uh, you know, in Missouri, they rely on the caucus system. Uh, okay. uh, they would just you know, make that make that more of a, a direct thing, and you know, so it, you know, you wouldn't even have the pretense of voting in a primary to select the president. You would have to engage in the caucus process, or you would you would you wouldn't be involved and, in it at all. And that you have to be a member, right? Right, a member of the party, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, I, I I can't keep that stuff straight. You know, I just uh, I just talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, 
I, I didn't I didn't realize your uh, partner was doing that. That's really cool, John. That's cool. So let's take let's take a little break and let's come back and talk about uh, how you. Uh, I know you're a longtime libertarian. Let's talk about your road as a libertarian. Okay, sounds great. All right, everybody. I've got a new album coming out on April 15th. The title is Free People. There's a very special track on there, though. It's called Take Human Action. And it's a rework of the old folk tune, The Worried Man Blues. I turned it into Take Human Action, and I want to donate all the royalties to the Mises Caucus. So the more you listen, the more you give. It's a great way to give without spending a dime. I also invited a lot of the Meacocks from the Facebook group and a few other that I knew uh, to send in some tracks. So it's a group event, and there's several people playing on it. We had a big libertarian hootenanny. So please listen to it on April 15th, and listen often, and give to the Mises Caucus. Thank you very much, and back to the show. Jeff had mentioned to me that he's a he's a longtime libertarian. He has a he has a, a perfect record of not voting for Democrats and Republicans as a as a prep for the presidential race. I, I'm, I'm jealous of that. My first presidential race, I could have voted for Ron Paul as a libertarian, and I I voted for Dukakis, and I'm I'm forever pissed about it. Well, I, I could I could claim to be a gold star libertarian uh, based on that premise, but um, yeah. Uh, I, I have not always voted for libertarians for president. I have voted for other third parties, uh, and Ro- Ross Perot being my first presidential vote. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, but but I, I do have a clean record of never voting for the duopoly in a presidential election. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> so, what what led you to uh, libertarianism? You were just born that way, or you just saw the corruption, or what? What, what was it that uh, led you to to vote gold? Well, I didn't. I didn't get into it based on the philosophy, the the principles. That was not my entry point. Um, for me, it was you know it was more of the uh, you know process of elimination. You know because I've always been anti duopoly, and I've always just believed that you know the the the, the two party system is the problem you know and that, that i mean that is the status quo and you know any if anything's ever going to improve it's not going to be improved at the hands of the status quo so um so that's that's what got me you know that's what got me looking for alternatives and then you know it was it's it's it was pretty clear when i really started paying attention to it that the libertarian party was going to be the strongest voice against the duopoly that, that was out there. I mean, that's been the case ever since I've been of of voting age, and and I, and I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future. Um, so and and it, so for me, it's, it's just a bonus that that the, the principles make sense to me, and that you know I, I can line up with that. Um, but it's it's you know if the if 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 something if if, if something became unpalatable to me about the Libertarian Party for any reason. You know, if there was some sort of crazy shift in 
you know, the, the, the principles or the, the, the strategy or, or even just there was some, you know, incredible scandal that just, you know, completely destroyed the party or something like that. I mean, I, I would not jump into the duopoly even at that point. I would just, I would just, you know, find another third party voice and somebody else that can right. you know, work against the duopoly. I just, I think, I think that's the most important thing that, that I've always felt. Yeah, I agree. It, it is really bad. You know, uh, I guess libertarians were probably the, in, between them and the green party were the only things out there when I started, uh, started, uh, you know, looking away from that. Cause I, I mean, I'd heard about libertarians when I was young, but, uh, you know, I never, I just never really knew that much about them. I knew I, you know, like you said, philosophically, I'd never read any libertarian literature. I knew I just didn't like the government much. And, uh, I the thing that got me was freedom of speech. You know, like when the PMRC came after my medal back in the day, uh, it, it just outraged me to no end. So, uh, I, are I never you a metal guy, Sean? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what, so you're saying PMRC, so you're talking about eighties metal then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you and I have the same, uh, same taste in music. Huh? You, you and I have uh, similar musical tastes here. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a priest and black Sabbath guy, but you know, I love Pantera, Sepultura, all that stuff. But I'm a musician, Great. so I play all I play all different styles of music. Yeah, that's outstanding. Well, who who do you like to listen to? Well, I mean, I've I've seen Judas Priest in concert many times. Uh, they're yeah. going to be coming back through St. Louis, I believe. It was just announced that later this year they're going to be here again. So I'll be at that show. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen Halford in concert with uh, with Judas Priest and the solo bands. I've seen him in concert like thirty three times, something like that. Thirty two, thirty three times. Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah I, I love me some priest. I mean, that's the reason I started playing electric guitar. Per, priest was in St. Louis last year, and it, and by coincidence, it was the same day as the uh, the, the St. Louis Pride Festival. Yeah. And I was working the uh, outreach booth that the Libertarians had at the Pride Festival, uh-huh. and and then I went from that booth. I went to the Jewish Priest Show, and I I, I feel like I, I might have had the, 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 the most prideful day of anybody in town, you know, the, being able to, you know, <laughs> hit both of those events. I mean, yeah, uh, hell yeah. Know, the, nobody was more proud than uh, Jeff Coleman that day that, uh, you know, the, I, I was probably gayer than anybody else that I'd ever even encountered. <laughs> that day. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I, I just, I, I love good metal, but I, I mean, I like good music of everything, but metal's my thing, you know, that's cool. Yeah, I noticed there's quite a few people who like metal in, into uh, in the Libertarian parties in the Libertarian Party. You know, I, I was I was really happy to find that. You know, Angela, our chair uh, of the National Party, now she's uh, she's a big metalhead. You know, she loves uh, you know you know death metal too, man. She likes uh, uh, Cannibal Corpse and all that stuff. Oh yeah, she's hardcore. Yeah, I mean, see, I didn't know that either. I don't, I really don't know what people's musical tastes are. I mean, I, you know, maybe I need to start asking that question of more, more people than I encounter. So. Yeah, yeah, man, we got more in common than you think. <laughs> oh, I discovered some interesting things there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what do you got planned for the future then? Uh, you know, I, like just uh, how 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 you planning on promoting the promoting your run and everything like that? And like what like what what's your what's your message to people other than uh, these people don't even live here? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean that's 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 key to it. But uh, you know, I, I think it's important that we that we really uh, embrace the big tent philosophy with the party. Uh, you know, we hear that a lot from the duopoly parties. 
Um, but you know, we 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 should certainly welcome new folks from all all corners of political ideology. If if uh, if the Libertarian Party is something that would appeal to them, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly not uh, uh, you know an orthodox uh, Libertarian by any stretch. You know, I mean, I, I would probably consider myself anti-gun and pro-war. Um, I, you know, and, and just to kind of clarify that, I, I you know, I, I advocate the the uh, the wholesale uh, collection of firearms from law-abiding U.S. citizens and, and transferring those assets where they can do the greatest good uh, into the hands of a, a heavily armored but reasonably benevolent peacekeeping force tasked with spreading our way of life throughout the rest of the world. And, you know, I think that's a message that would really be uh, resounding with a lot of voters, and, and I, I want to really kind of promote that message. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm very anti-war. I'm not, I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but very anti, very anti-war. Unless, unless we're attacked, that's the only thing I go for. Uh, like, how about the war on drugs? Oh, I mean, yeah. The, 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 there's no, there's no. Uh, the, 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 the issue I think that doesn't get enough attention on the war on drugs is that um, if we, if we, if we really get serious about legalizing drugs. Um, there is a jobs issue there. I mean, we, we're really putting a lot of black marketeers out of work and uh, probably put them on the welfare rolls. And we've got to figure out other things that these you know, these black market entrepreneurs can do if, if we're going to take uh, illegal drugs away from them. You know, so so that's a, that could be a real uh, real uh, uh, punishing thing to do to our economy. I don't know. I think I think uh, I think it would create a lot of jobs. You have places to sell it, manufacturing, all that stuff. Because out here, I mean, you know. You know, California jacked it up with all the taxes, but I mean, it did cre it create a lot of jobs. There could be even more of them if they would just lighten up on the damn taxes and, and the regulation. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because um, I mean, they were they were even going to they were even like the original thing that didn't pass by one percent sucks had no regulation whatsoever, and it was backed by unions. They'd been planning on paying people like twenty dollars an hour or something like that to roll joints. I was like, man, that's that's crazy. Uh, that's a, that only missed by one percent. Yeah, one percent, and that was that was before the one that we got now. This one, this one, two years later, uh, and it's just overburdened with regulations. You know, as a matter, of, you know, it, it's so regulated that uh, our our legal market is only one third of the market here in California. Still, they're still throwing people in jail here, even though it's legal. It's crazy, but that's hmm, that's progressive yeah, politics for you. Another another big one for me, uh, you know, throughout my campaign this year, I, I've been hearing over and over from Missouri voters that their number one concern is border security. Oddly enough, uh, in Missouri, and so uh, I, I am, I am the only candidate who's ready to attack that problem head on. Sean, I am calling for the greatest wall you've ever seen to be constructed along the entire length of our southern border. So that we can finally curb the tsunami of Arkansas refugees streaming into Branson like cockroaches to a sugar cube. <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there a lot of people moving from um, Arkansas and stuff up into up there? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I've actually seen polls uh, for, for other districts in Missouri where, you know, that that is the number one issue that 
that voters, especially in in rural uh, areas of Missouri, their number one issue that they're they're voting on is border security, hmm. and it's it's completely perplexing to me. So you know that's 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 what yeah, I, that's, 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 that's why I've added that to my platform. <laughs> you know, I think that's, Oregon or Washington has something like that. They they're they're tired of Californians coming up there. It's not the right kind of liberals. So they're coming up there and uh, uh, taking up their tree space, I guess. <laughs> I, so, I, another thing I, I I could probably brag about I'm the only candidate in my house race who has actually solved the abortion debate. I'd like to get into that one. Yeah, go ahead, fire it off. Yeah, if we can if we can speak man to man for a moment, uh, this one's <laughs> yeah. pretty important. Um, so, first of all, now that the states have taken charge of the situation, I'm calling for all female state legislators to recuse themselves when abortion comes up for a vote. I mean, they have a clear conflict of interest on this issue, what with their uterus and all. And if, if I could say something to all of our lady listeners enjoying the Liberty Blues Network today, ladies, I am asking you to stand back and stand by. Okay, sweetie, we got this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to have somebody on uh, 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 coming up here soon that's very... Uh, a libertarian party that wants to help people uh, be able to get uh, get access to abortions in, in states where it's a, where it's more restrictive. Because Missouri, it's very restrictive, right? Yeah, Missouri was already like one of the most restrictive states. Um, but it, there's there's kind of a you know there's an issue that people didn't really pay attention to, which is that we you know this is a state that only had one abortion clinic anyway. I mean, we, we've only had one abortion clinic for many years. And that one clinic is in St. Louis. And St. Louis is right on the edge of the state. So if, if you're in the middle of Missouri, I mean, that's, that's not great, you know, for you if you, if, if, you, if you need an abortion. I mean, you're, 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 you're potentially traveling quite, you know, quite a significant distance. Uh, but I think that, but, you know, that, that, that situation, um, to me, it kind of takes the steam out of the sails on both sides of the debate because we went from having only one clinic to now having zero clinics because Missouri was literally the first state to, you know, outlaw it through a trigger. trigger yeah, so something and, uh, like in the 30s, right? Well, no, no. I mean, the, the, no. I mean, it got it. There was a new, uh, you know, trigger ban oh. that was ready to go as soon as the the Supreme Court decision was formally yeah. announced, and so so it's it's completely outlawed. But all that means is we're we're closing a single abortion clinic, you know, that was on the edge of the state to begin with. Fifteen minutes away from our one and only abortion clinic are two more abortion clinics in Illinois. Uh -huh. So it it did not it did it. it Access to abortion remains virtually unchanged <laughs> from what it was before the, the the Supreme Court decision to what it is now. You know, and, and both, you know before the ban and after the ban. I mean, it's it's the same access. It's just another fifteen minutes over the river, and and there's, yeah, yeah. There's your claim. So, um, so it, it didn't. I mean, you know, if if you're if you're pro-choice, then you know you you, you know. You certainly want more access than that. You want something, you know, in the state. And uh, and if you're pro-life, you're probably upset that you know there's abortion clinics right across the border that uh, are you know available to everybody. So I mean, 
it's it's a situation where nobody is going to be thrilled about it, but nobody should be, you know, uh, really be, uh, pulling their hair out about it either. And it's 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 almost a non-event from what I can tell. Yeah, I think ultimately people will figure out a way. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, if you all you gotta do is cross the river, you know, uh, those they'll get what they want. So yeah. the market, the market will right. be there. And and you know, the reason abortion is so incredibly divisive is because both sides of the debate insist on framing it as an adversarial scenario between the mother and the fetus. So if you're pro-life, then you hate women. If you're pro-choice, then you hate babies. And this is right. this is what we hear from both sides. You know, all of this hate evaporates if we simply embrace the concept the pregnancy is actually about collaboration rather than opposition. But why do we assume a mother and fetus are at war with one another? That's ludicrous. They need each other. They're biologically linked together as I've ever met. You know, they have an undeniable bond that everyone seems to have completely overlooked. So how do we end the abortion debate by reframing pregnancy as a collaboration. And, and you know, I think, I think that's surprisingly and shockingly simple to do. Uh, and this might be one for John. John, you're, a, you're an attorney. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of rebuttable presumption. Yeah. Uh, can, you, uh, can you give, you know, kind of a quick explanation of yeah, what that means? I don't have any clue. So rebuttable presumption means that under the law, the, the law is kind of the, the blanket provision or the way that the starting point is, is one-sided. But however, even though it's set that way, it can be turned around based on something else. That, that is that there's the opportunity to turn around um, that assumption based on a threshold of evidence. Exactly right. You know, so so for example, with you know criminal justice, you have innocent until proven guilty. That you know, every, everybody's familiar with that. Um, so you know everybody understands there's a rebuttable presumption that criminal defendants are not guilty. We presume they are not guilty unless that presumption is rebutted and proven otherwise. Without the rebuttal, they're free to go. You know that's that's our system, and, and that's just one example of a rebuttable presumption as, as you you've uh, defined it there. So what does this have to do with abortion? Well, if we can accept the reality that pregnancy is an obvious collaboration between mother and fetus, then we should presume that both parties want what's best for the team. So if either of them elect to ride out the pregnancy to term, the law should recognize the rebuttable presumption that both parties have elected to write it out unless and until the other party rebuts that decision. Likewise, if either party elects to end the pregnancy with an abortion, then we have a rebuttable presumption that the other party agrees unless they rebut that. If no rebuttal, then mother and fetus are presumed to agree. Justice prevails. Everybody gets along in peace and harmony, and Jeff Coleman has solved the abortion debate now and forever <laughs> after. You're welcome, planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah, I just 
for me, I just, I like choice and I, and I hate the, I hate the thing of the government telling anybody what to do. So that, that's definitely a unique, uh, unique twist on it there. So. Yeah. And, and that, that, that is a very, you know, that fits right in line with the libertarian philosophy that, that keeps the government completely out of it. And it's between the mother and the fetus. They make a joint decision and, you know, nobody else has any say. Yeah. Well, there it is. So is there is any other topics you wanted to hit up before we sign out of here? Oh, and any websites or anything? Uh, I don't have uh, a website up as of yet. Now we've got my uh, my the, the primary is a couple of weeks away, and so uh, my my campaign will get active after that. You know, we have an uh, an August primary in Missouri here. Uh -huh. So do you have like Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? You're on. Uh, no, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm also uh, intentionally running an anti Facebook campaign oh okay uh, yeah. <laughs> i want to i want to encourage everybody to drop facebook as soon as they can so i don't want to yeah i don't want to drive traffic to facebook <laughs> that's cool well uh i really appreciate you coming on the podcast uh you know you have to keep us uh up to date know what's going on as maybe as it gets closer to november you can uh come back on and see how things are going yeah that'd be great i really appreciate uh your time here sean really, really enjoyed uh, joining you guys here today yeah. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Hey, yeah, you guys take care. All right. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. So, so everybody keep listening to the Liberty Blues Network. Uh, subscribe, like, do it all that good stuff. Share it for God's sake. We want more listeners. Uh, and don't forget to listen to my album, Free People, wherever you listen to music and follow me there. And we'll see you on you the know, next real quick, my, uh, my, oh, yeah. my, uh, my out, my out cue for the music you need to cue up is uh, The Hellion and Electric Eye, my priest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I love it. All right, have a good night. Take care, Sean. Thanks.